0: Yeah, I know. All right, Matthew chapter 20. All right, let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer and then we will go ahead and get started into the lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. We are thankful for the group that you brought out. We just want to learn of you and grow in you. Lord, we pray for tonight and Monday night and Tuesday night that our hearts are open to what you have in store for us as individuals, as a body of Christ, to be a light and a witness for you. Lord, let the focus be on you and not us. And just help us to learn and grow this morning. And we say thank you in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to do Lord willing, time willing, verses 1 through 16 this morning. And I absolutely love this parable. And I love these type of teachings where they're almost this little self-enclosed, which is some nice straightforward points. But it ties into what we've been talking about in Matthew 18. If you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, in Matthew 18, it first started talking about marriage and divorce. And after marriage and divorce, then it started talking about being single. Then it started talking about young children. And then after that, we got to the rich young ruler. So we talk about all different areas of life, be it married, be it single, be it young. And then we ended with the man who literally had everything. According to the Bible, he had the blessing of youth. He had wealth. He had power. He had everything. But the word he used is, what am I still lacking? And what he was lacking was a relationship with Christ. So Jesus said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor. That's not a works-based salvation. Jesus is saying, "Is those items, that wealth is keeping you from a real relationship with me, and we got to get rid of that. And the Bible says the man walked away sorrowful. So Jesus then takes this as a teaching point to the rest of the disciples, talking about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. But then Christ says it's only through God. Now Peter, who has no filter between head and mouth, at that point just says something. Verse 27, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? New Living Translation is even more blunt. What do we get? Peter says, what do we get, Jesus? We gave up everything. Jesus says, you'll get stuff, don't worry. And then it goes to verse 30. Many who are first will be last in the last first. Now, chapter breaks and verses, it stopped us there for time. But if we could really just continue the thought, it goes right into this beautiful parable. So this parable is a tie-in to what Peter asked in verse 27. And it's a tie-in to what Jesus said in verse 30. Many who are first will be last in the last first. Now, if you remember correctly, when we started teaching on parables months ago in the book of Matthew, parables can have a hidden meaning. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm going to tell you a story. And as you get the story, there's just certain points of it you're going to say, yeah, I get. But Jesus is going to say, there's another level of do you get it. So as we go through this, Jesus is saying, are you going to get what I'm talking about here? It ties into Peter's question, and it ties into verse 30. Let's see what happens. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. The way it worked thousands of years ago is that you would have a farm. And if it was time to do something here, it was time for the vineyard to be uh, harvested. The weather looked good. The day looked good. You'd go into the center of town. There would be able-bodied men that were looking for work. You'd go in as the master of the vineyard and said, I need three guys. So I'll take you, you, and you. You're going to come with me for today. Verse 2, now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. He agreed with the price. A denarius was just the common wage for one day's worth of work. So they agreed to a price. You're going to work this many hours for this much money. Now verse 3, he went out about the third hour. Now now it's about 9 a.m. And saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. So he hires a few more at 9 a.m. Verse 5, and he went out about the 6th and the ninth hour and did the same. So he went out at noon, he went out 3 p.m., hired some more. And about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. So when they came, who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., They each received a denarius. Wow, they did about an hour's worth of work. Got paid for the full day. Verse 10. But when the first came, now the people that got hired early in the morning, they supposed they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner. They said, we've been working longer, harder. Verse 12. These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? We made a deal. You may agree to those terms. Take what is yours. Go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called but few chosen. Parable. We understand the story. That makes pretty much so sense. So he hired the different laborers at different times of the day. They all got paid the same, even though they didn't do all the same amount of work. And the master of the vineyard is able to say, it's my money. I can do what I want. That's the story. Now, what's the spiritual side of this? The vineyard is here, this world, where we're supposed to be working. John 15, 8 makes it clear that we're supposed to go out there and produce fruit for the Lord. We're the hired laborers that the Lord has hired to go out into this world to produce fruit for Him and to work for Him. So the master of the vineyard would be the Lord. And this is the picture that we have. Now, all of us are hired at different times. 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., different stages of life you came to know Christ. You may have been hired early in the morning. At a very young age, you got saved. You may have been hired very late in the day. You didn't get saved to your 60s, 70s, 80s, but you all got hired by the Lord. And we get to go work in the vineyard. That's the point that the Lord is trying to tell us here. But now that we understand that, there's really four main things you see in this that we need to talk about. Now that we understand the spiritual side of it, we're here hired by the Lord to go work in this vineyard for Him. What can we really get out of this? Okay, first things first. This word, idol. Now, it's not I-D-O-L, I-D-L-E, idol. Three times it's used in this story. They were idle. Some translations come right out and said they were doing nothing. Doing nothing. Specifically look right here. About verse 6. About the 11th hour he went and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? Why aren't you doing something? Same thing applies to us today spiritually. Why aren't we doing something? Why are we just standing along the sidelines when we're supposed to be getting involved? Can you go with me real quick to Ephesians 2, please? Ephesians chapter 2. In Matthew 25, there's the parable of the talents. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. But one of the men that has received a talent from the Lord, he takes it and he buries it. And Jesus comes back in that parable and says, You wicked and lazy servant. You did nothing. Here, you're idle. You're not doing anything. God wants us to get out there And do something for Him. Now we need to talk about this though for a second. Because what we finished up this summer out here at church was this. We talked about the idea of works. But we talked about works, not works that save you, not works that keep you saved, not works that make you prideful. But we talked about since you have been saved by Jesus Christ internally, you're supposed to change externally how you live and act. So since Christ has changed you on the inside, it changes how you live on the outside. And we went through practical examples here during the summer where the Lord talks about hospitality and to prisoners and to those that are sick, to widows, orphans, etc. Practical ways to get out there and show Jesus Christ in what you do. But the problem is when you start talking about works, it's easy to let works become a focus. And you can become legalistic about works. You can become prideful about works. You start out real great. I just love Jesus and I just love serving the Lord. Then after a few months of you and Jesus serving together and you see people aren't serving as much as you, why aren't they serving like me? All of a sudden this good work becomes a legalism. All of a sudden this good work becomes a bitterness because you're ticked and upset. People aren't doing as much as you are. They're not working as hard as you are. Don't they see how much I'm working? We have to be careful with that mentality. Ephesians gives us a great balance of this. Start in verse 8 of Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That verse just makes it clear. You are saved by Christ, by grace. It's a gift. It's not of a work. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing. So this idea of works, nope, toss that out of the window. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But go right into verse 10 now. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's like, hold on a second, Paul. You're telling me I'm not saved by works, not of works in any way whatsoever. But the next verse you're telling me now go out and do works. Yeah, that's what it is. You're not saved by anything you've done. But now that you are saved, go out there and live the life. Don't be idle. Now, you may sit here this morning and say, I am not idle. I am busy. Yeah, but are you idle in the things of the Lord? People are busy in this world. People are completely busy. But are we busy doing the things that we're supposed to be doing? This is not a message of get out there and do more. No. This is a message of do what you're called to do. Which may mean do less. Because I know some people that are very busy. And some of the things they're doing, I don't think are of the Lord. The Lord may be calling them to step back and do less. These guys were idle. They were doing nothing. And I tell you, how often do we see that in Christianity? People that know Christ, they know what Jesus has done for, him, for them, I should say. And they stand along the sidelines and do nothing. Well, they're busy. But they're not busy concerning the things of the Lord. If you have 24 hours a day. How are you going to use that? Now, every now and then I run into somebody who talks about how busy they are. They don't have time to do devotions. They don't have time to lead their family spiritually. They don't have time to serve here. They don't have time to serve there. Then maybe they need to step back and say, am I doing what I'm called to do? Yes, I filled myself up with the busyness of the world. And the busyness of the world will choke me out, the Bible says. But am I busy about the things of the Lord? Life is busy. What are you going to do at that time? Because the Lord gives us opportunities. Are we going to take it or are we going to sit there and be idle? Real quick story. Recently, I had to get some tires on my car, and I had to get uh, an oil change done on my car. So I I ran over to uh, Walmart, and I was going to get that done. So I went back to the automotive and said, I need some tires, I need oil change. They said, that's fine. It's going to take about a little over an hour. This works out good. i got to go grocery shopping. Dawn sent me the list. It takes me about an hour to grocery shop. There's nine of us. So I go out there, and I timed it perfectly got my cart completely full, got everything on the list, showed up back to automotive. It had been a little over an hour. I said to them, hey, I'm going to go check out. I just want to make sure that everything's ready so I can come back. The guy comes out and says, sorry, we ran into some issues, some problems, it was going to be about another hour, hour and a half. Now, what am I going to do? I have eight gallons of milk in my cart. I have every dead animal frozen you can imagine in my cart. So, I just got done grocery shopping, and now I'm going to go work for Walmart and stock shelves. I had to go put all of it back because I couldn't walk around for another hour, hour and a half with this frozen stuff. I couldn't. So I was trying to do good. I was trying to put it back in the right spot, and I finally, I just put all the frozen food in one section. So I was hopeful that no one would be a good saint and put it back, and it was all just in this big pile right there. So now I got about another hour to kill. It took me about 15 minutes to unpack groceries. So I went grocery shopping, then got undone to grocery shopping, and now I have to go grocery shopping again. So I got about 45 minutes here to an hour. What am I going to do? So I'm walking around Walmart with my cart that has all the dry goods in it and anything else you can imagine. I'm just making laps. You go to electronics for a while. You go to seasonal. I like Christmas trees. The Christmas trees are out. You just start walking around. You go to the book section. You just start randomly picking up books. And I thought I'm killed all this time. I looked down. It was like 10 minutes. I still got like 40 minutes left. So now you start to get angry. This isn't my fault. This is not how I wanted to spend my day. I want to be home. I want to be home with my kids, my family. I did everything right. They said it was going to be this long. I show up, and it's not this long. etc. So all of a sudden, now you get angry. You get upset. Then I felt like the Lord said to me something of this effect. Am I not sovereign? Okay, God, you're sovereign. So if God is sovereign, that means whatever happens in my life went through the filter of the Lord. So therefore, since he is sovereign, this is a planned event. Now, it may not be my planned event. It's his planned event. The Bible makes it clear that God is good and does good. Now, his definition of good may be different than my definition of good. The Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to bring you peace. Okay, my plan for the day was to get in, get out, get home. That was not the Lord's plan. So now I'm in Walmart, and I'm being idle. I'm just killing time i got to figure out what to do. i still got close to an hour here, 45 minutes of what I'm going to do. So, Lord, you're sovereign. I don't want to be idle. I'm yours. I'm available. You got me here for a reason. What do you want me to do? Now, as I tell you this part of the story, I'm not trying to sound ultra spiritual because I'm not in any way. I felt like, okay, I'm just going to start talking to people. So I would just push my card around. I'd wait till i find a guy that was by himself. I'd go up and I'd stand beside him. I'd pretend to look at what he's looking at. And I would just wait for a conversation to start. Sometimes it started, sometimes it didn't. Now it was pouring outside. So when the conversation started with a sometimes it started with just a little, oh sorry, oh are you looking at this? You know what I mean? Just I wasn't gonna buy anything, I'm just lying. I don't know how that I don't know how that works spiritually. I mean just lying, I'm not gonna buy it. So then I would just try to start a conversation, and it was pouring, so I would do things like this. Sounds like Noah's flood out there. I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there. And they would just walk away. But, you know, so I ran into a guy, and he has tattoos up his arm, footprints. I'm going to talk to him. You see your tattoos, what are they for? And he goes, oh, my grandma's favorite poem was Footprints in the Sand. Hey, open door, footprints in the sand. Hey, that talks about the Lord carrying us through difficult times. Boom, going to have a conversation. Talked to another guy, and the subject came up. If he just made a comment, he goes, I'm a, I'm a good Catholic. Just saying, I'm a good boy. I'm good. you're a good Catholic. Let's talk about what it means to be good. I'm just going around Walmart. I don't want to be idle. And how often in life are we idle? We're sitting along the sidelines of life doing nothing. When obviously if God is sovereign, there's something I could be doing. And this is not some legalism of I have to. It's not, I just, Lord, I'm here. I want to be used. And maybe that idleness is supposed to be, I'm just going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray for my spouse. I'm going to pray for the people hurting at church. Or maybe it's going to be, i got my Bible with me. I'm just going to sit down and read. But the Lord doesn't want us to be idle. Look in the Bible, the times where people were doing nothing. Matthew 25, God's response, you're wicked and lazy. Here in Matthew 20, why are you doing nothing? Do something. So I just want to encourage you, don't be idle it's not a message of do more it may be do less it's just do what you're called with the opportunity and time that you have let's quit sitting on the sidelines and doing nothing now what else do we see in this story look at verse 10 when they first came they supposed they would receive more and they likewise received each of denarius what do we see in verse 10 we see expectations See, he paid the guys that got hired at 5 o'clock first. They each got a denarius. So therefore, the expectation is I should get paid a whole lot more since I've been working all day and then my expectations aren't met. Do you realize unmet expectations will lead to anger? will lead to bitterness, it will lead to depression. Well, I thought I would be married by now. I thought marriage would be better than this. I didn't think it would be this hard. I thought it would be easier than this. That was your expectation. And what happens is when our expectations are not met, what happens, verse 11, and when they received it, they complained, they grumbled, they murmured. Isn't that what happens in life? I expected this to happen. This did not happen, so my spiritual response is what? Murmuring, grumbling, complaining. Simple, straightforward verse, Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Why do we grumble and complain? Because our expectations were not met. Maybe our expectations were unrealistic. Maybe we had selfish expectations. What do I learn from this parable? If God is sovereign and I'm just a servant that works in the vineyard for him, he's going to pay me what's fair. And he's not paying me based on my works. He says, paying me out of his grace, love, and mercy. I need to let go of all my expectations and just say, Lord, I'm here to serve. Because what happens with expectations? Maybe you expect to be noticed and you're not. Maybe you expect to have more prestige, power, authority in a church and you don't. Maybe you expected the ministry to be more fruitful. It's not. Just serve the Lord. Colossians 3.23, work as if working for the Lord, not for man. Take that same mindset into wherever you live and work. You're going to go in and just do a good job at work because that's the expectation God has given you. You may not be noticed. You may not be appreciated. You may not be cared for. But that's what the Lord has said to do. Same thing in life and marriage. I'm going to go in and be the best father and husband I can be because that's what the Lord has asked me to do. We have to sometimes let go of expectations because unmet expectations will go to anger, bitterness, depression. And will go to complaining because sometimes our expectations are unrealistic or sometimes they're selfish. That's what happened with these guys. What about the next thing? What else do we see? Look at verse 14. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Equality. They all got paid the same. We're all saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We all are. Galatians 3 makes it clear there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. We all got saved by the blood of Christ. Every single one of us. You got saved the same way I got saved. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for my sins. And I got saved just like Billy Graham got saved. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sins. There's an equality there on how we got saved. And Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, every one of their quote-unquote rewards was the same wording. Well done, good and faithful servant. Entered in the joy of the Lord. Now, when we get to heaven, there are different rewards... But we're talking about salvation right here. There will be rewards in heaven because there are times where the Lord said, you have served me in this capacity. And if you really study out rewards in heaven, it's not for us to walk around uh, elevating ourselves for all of eternity. It's, Lord, I did this for you. Jesus, I did this for you. So, we're all saved. We're all paid the same reward of salvation in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if we got hired in the morning or we got hired at 5 p.m. So you got saved at four years old, and you died at 94, and you had 90 years of walking with Jesus Christ. Amen. But then the 94-year-old person got saved with one minute left in their life. They still have the same reward of salvation through Christ. That's the equality. One of my favorite things that's ever happened out here at church, its probably 10, 15 years ago, I got a phone call, and it was to go to a nursing home to meet somebody I've never met before, and she was literally on her deathbed. So we went there, she could barely talk, we pulled out Psalm 116. If you've never read Psalm 116 before, it's, it's the death psalm, if you will. You know, basically, my life is failing, I am dying. I implore you, O Lord, deliver my soul precious in the eyes of God as the death of one of his saints. And so we read this to her, and she had enough energy, she could still talk enough. To, you know, explained salvation. Do you want to know Christ? Do you want your sins forgiven? And she said, yes, she did. Right there, prayed, accepted Christ. Three hours later, she died. She got the same reward. She's in heaven. Aren't you thankful that you serve a God that is completely okay with deathbed conversions? That says love, grace, and mercy. Now, we don't know when we're going to go. And every now and then you run into the person that says, Well, you know what? I heard your teaching. I like that. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want, because I know I got some time right before I go. Now, Luke 12 makes it very clear in Luke 12, you fool. You do not know when your life would be required of you. You don't know when you're going to go. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Because you don't know what's going to happen. But we all have an equality that we're all saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I tell you what a beautiful blessing that is. So you have a loved one right now that maybe has been not walking with the Lord, and we're going on decades. You never know what's going to happen in those last moments of life. Thank the Lord for His grace, His love, and His mercy. The people that got hired at five, they got a full day's wage. What a blessing that is. What about our last point here? Look at verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? Some of your translations, is your eye jealous? Oh boy, jealousy is difficult. Jealousy goes a lot with unmet expectations. I'm jealous that you got the attention and I didn't. I'm jealous that you got noticed and I didn't. You know, a lot of times when we think of jealousy, we start thinking of jealousy like, I see something you have and I want the same car you have. I want the same thing you have. I've noticed a lot of times, at least my life, the jealousy I struggle with is not about material possessions. Maybe it's about attention. Maybe it's about pride. It's about prestige, etc. And that's what you see here in the Bible. Can you go with me real quick to Numbers chapter 12? A couple stories here on jealousy. And how dangerous and destructive it is. I heard a teaching a while ago. Numbers 12, please. I heard heard teaching a while ago talking about comparative Christianity. I was talking as a pastor. Never compare yourself to another church. Because only two things can happen. One, you think you're better than that church. So now you walk away in pride. Or two, you think that church is better than you. So now you walk away depressed. You can't win. Same thing happens in comparative Christianity. Don't compare your marriage to other marriages. Don't compare your walk to other walks. Don't compare your spouse to other spouses. Don't compare it. It's not. If that's what the Lord has called you in, in that season of life, then that's where you're called. Lord, I want to do the best I can with what I have through you in this season. When we start looking at everything else, we're going to go back and have what? Unmet expectations that are going to lead to anger and bitterness and depression. We're going to have jealousy. And jealousy will destroy you. Look at what jealousy does here in Numbers 12. Numbers 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, "Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also?" And the Lord heard it. Now here they are, they're wandering for years. Out in the desert, Moses has been the leader. Miriam and Aaron have reached a point, now they're brother and sister. Moses, Aaron and Miriam reached a point, and Miriam and Aaron said, "We're done with this. Moses is getting all the attention. God only speaks through Moses. Can't you imagine these conversations that were going on? Hey, Aaron, weren't you there before Pharaoh too? You bet I was there. In fact, I went before Pharaoh because in Exodus 3, Aaron didn't say that, but in Exodus 3, Moses was afraid to talk and God said, sent me. What about you, Miriam? Me? Yeah, I'm the one that chased the little raft down the river. I'm the one that took care of him as a baby. And then all of a sudden you got this conversation going, you got this jealousy going. Who is Moses alone that the Lord uses him? But verse 2, and the Lord heard it. Be careful of those thoughts that you do such a good job with never letting come out of your mouth. The Lord knows, he hears, he sees, he knows our jealous heart. Verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Do you know how we know Moses was the most humble man that ever existed? Because Moses told us. Verse 4. Sonny of the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Verse 4, I can relate to so much. I will hear lots of noises in my house. I will listen to hear who the noises are coming from. And then I will call those people out. And it will be like, Laden, Tyrus, Kenan, come to my room. It never is good to be called to my room. So therefore, come to the tabernacle. Now, what do you think is going through Miriam's and Aaron's mind at this time? Are they thinking they're finally going to get recognition? The Lord called them out. And Moses. Verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Are they nervous? Are they excited? Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses; he is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Please do remember at this time: these people, these people are 80, 90, maybe hundred years old. This is not late teen sibling rivalry. They had been through a lot. And God says, guys, Moses is the guy I want. Moses is the guy I'm using. Verse 9. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and there she was a leper. What is leprosy? Leprosy is where your body is basically eating itself. What does jealousy do to you? It just eats you up. It just completely, utterly destroys you and eats you up. You're so jealous over what other people are doing, saying, attention, what have you. So therefore, you're ate up. Your joy is just ate up. Your life is just ate up. Everything is ate up in your life. Verse 11, so Aaron said to Moses, "Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she will be received again. What else does jealousy do? It pushes you away from the body of Christ. You are so jealous, worked up, upset, bothered, fill in the blank. You don't want to be around other believers. Why do they get the attention? Why do they get to the credit? Does anybody know what I'm doing? Does anybody see what I'm doing? It's not even in church. It's at work. You start going into work and you're already bitter. You're already angry because the boss likes him better. They notice what he does. They don't notice what I do. You don't want to sit with anybody in the break room. You walk around with a chip on your shoulder all day. Jealousy will eat you up like leprosy. Jealousy will push you away from other people. Verse 15, so Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. Jealousy will destroy you. It will just destroy you and eat you alive. Lose your joy and just everything you have in life. Let's do one more example of this. Can you go to 1 Samuel 18, please? 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. Very similar, but a bit different. What you see in Numbers 12 is you see this buildup over years. Of why does Moses get everything? We'll see what happens down First Samuel 18 when we're dealing with bitterness and unmet expectations. Verse one of first Samuel 18. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own son, excuse me, own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. So you have Saul, who's the king of Israel, and his son Jonathan is now best friends with David, and Saul loves David so much. Verse two. David, you're going to stay with me. What what a great picture this is. you got the father and his son, his son's best friend. They're all living together. Verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword, his bow, and his belt. If you would look at this time, you wouldn't be able to tell son from friend because Jonathan and David are so close. David's so close to Saul. Verse 5, so David went out whenever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is just working wonderfully. Saul has got Jonathan, his son. He's got David, which is basically like a son now. They're all working together. Whatever Saul wants David to do, David does. He does a great job at it. Everything's going wonderful. Verse 6. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. Let's have a party. Everybody's happy. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Okay, hold on a second here. Verse 8, Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? What did you see in verse 8? Jealousy. This perfect working relationship of friends, son, father. Israel's in a great spot. Now all of a sudden, jealousy. Somebody got a little bit more of attention than I did. Somebody got a little bit more pat on the back. Somebody got a little bit bigger raise. Jealousy. Verse 9, So Saul eyed David from that day forward, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. David played music with his hands as the other times But there was a spear in Saul's hand And Saul cast the spear For he said I will pin David to the wall But David escaped his presence twice What did we see with Miriam Jealousy Ended up eating her alive If you will The joy Serving of what the Lord has done Cast out of the camp losing fellowship What do we see with Saul's jealousy Anger I mean, have you ever seen somebody who's just angry? And you wonder, what are they angry about? Because if you look at King Saul at this time, what does he have to be angry about? The kingdom's in good shape. His son's in good shape. David's in great shape. Everything should be perfect. What are they angry about? Jealousy. Verse 13, therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. I'm telling you right now, jealousy will destroy you. It will take the joy out of your life. It will eat you alive like leprosy. It will take you away from fellowship with other believers because you're so upset. And you'll have anger here. Put this all together now. Back to Matthew twenty. A great, simple, straightforward parable that reminds us, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be out there working for the Lord. John fifteen eight: go produce fruit for the Lord. What does that fruit look like? That fruit may be ministry. That fruit may be your family. That fruit may be serving at work. That fruit may be serving at school. I don't know where your sphere of influence is, but you're serving the Lord in that capacity. Now, as we're serving the Lord in that capacity, we need to remember those four things. First off, this is not a time for idleness. God has created us, His workmanship for good works. We're not out to be there doing nothing. Once again, not a message of doing more. It may be a message of doing less. Do what you're called. Number two, when it comes to serving, let go of all expectations. Don't have unrealistic expectations. Don't have selfish expectations. Unmet expectations will lead to anger, bitterness, and depression, and will lead to complaining. Lord, I, you are sovereign, and I'm here to serve you in whatever capacity you called me. Number three, there's an equality. The people that got hired at 5 got paid the same as the people hired in the morning. The beauty of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Gotta love it. And lastly, jealousy. It will destroy you. It will destroy you. Just like it did Miriam. Just like it did Saul. Thank the Lord, though, that if we can have this mindset of, Lord, it's you. That's all we're here about is focus on you. We can let all these things go. Now, Joshua, if you want to come forward here for the final song. There you are. Couldn't find you over there. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, as we come to you.